Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. We awake on a Friday to the very sad news that for the first time in history, a former president has been indicted on a criminal charge. It's a staggering moment in the history of this country. It's Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn here with Lisa Garvin, Laura Johnston, and Layla Tassi. And I don't think we can start the podcast without reflecting on this a little bit, especially because we have two fairly key players on the national scene that have lots to say about the indictment of the former president. J.D. Vance wasted no time, right, Laura, and coming right out and saying, this is political, this is persecution, blah, blah, blah. I mean, he didn't even wait to see what the charges were before he condemned them. Well, would you expect anything less of J.D. Vance? I mean, shoot first, think later. Um, but yeah, I think there's a lot we still don't know about this. And, and people are going to be saying what they want about it uh, because it is such a political hot potato. It, it, there is trouble here because this is a local prosecution out of a very liberal area, which is giving rise to lots of calls about this being political persecution. I mean, let's face it, if he broke the law, we all answer to breaking the law, but it, there's worry that it'll be very easy to get a jury in New York to convict Donald Trump because they really don't like Donald Trump. Lisa, we were talking before the podcast about Jim Jordan's thought. I mean, Jim Jordan is firing in all directions, hoping mm -hmm. to become viral. He's he's Ohio's crazy congressman. But one of his random shots is we should limit prosecutions of former presidents to the federal jurisdiction so that you don't have any one of thousands of county prosecutors playing politics and bringing former presidents down with, with trumped up charges. Um, that would create a special exemption of criminal exceptions for former presidents, which doesn't really fit in the American standard of we're all equal. Well, I, you know, I, I realize this is a local prosecution, but would you make this a, a federal case? I mean, I don't know. I, I and I, I understand that, you know, you say this would open the door to any former president or official, you know, being indicted by a, a rogue district attorney or, or whatever. But I just think, like I said before, this is the first domino to fall. I, you said that the Georgia, you know, voting case is also a local case. Um, but I think that that will be the next domino to fall. And there's a lot more evidence there. Um, I think his, I think his life of criminality is pretty obvious to anyone who's paying attention. We just need, you know, some indictments here. 
Look, the guy tried to overthrow the government of the country and install himself as a dictator. I think anybody that is sentient and gives an objective look at the facts knows what he pulled on January 6th. That's high crimes. He did try to interfere with the election results in Georgia. It's the phone calls to the elections chief and all of the things he did. I'm, I'm still surprised that's not a federal case. It was a federal election and why they're leaving it to a Georgia prosecutor to do that. I'm not quite sure. What I worry about is when Joe Biden leaves office, some Texas border prosecutor bringing charges against him, arguing that his immigration policies created harm in that county or killed people or something and that this makes it open season on anybody who runs for office, at least in the federal system, you feel like there's some more checks and balances than what you get in the, in the county system. Ultimately, it's a jury, right? You go to a jury. We trust our jury system. If Donald Trump broke the law the way the prosecutor is in the grand jury is saying, I guess they'll decide. It is an unusual case that, because it, normally this is a misdemeanor. They need a second count as a result of the first one to get it to be a felony. And of course, we haven't seen the charges yet. That's just right. what the legal experts are speculating. And as many people have pointed out, it wasn't Alvin Bragg that indicted him. It was the grand jury that indicted him. So they obviously saw evidence that they felt was enough to go forward. Donald Trump has turned out to be just one of the most damaging people to this country we've ever seen. I mean, he was impeached twice, first president to do that. He utterly disregarded the law and considered himself a king. But this is a sad, sad day for this. You know, I, I wanted to, you mentioned how you felt like maybe it would be difficult to secure a conviction against him in a state where he's sort of reviled. But I, I was actually having the, the opposite immediate reaction to that last night when this news broke. I, I think it would be impossible to keep even just one Trumpster off of a jury. Don't you think? I mean, that's all it would take to to keep him uh oh, that's a good point mm-hmm. i yeah i'm i'm thinking that in new york they'll slam dunk convict him but you're right all it would take is one you know the kind of person that showed up at school board meetings exactly. screaming about crt you just need one. one yeah you put one of them on the jury and it doesn't matter what the facts show it doesn't matter what the case shows and it, it, prosecutors try to keep those kind of wild people off the jury but it is a jury of his right. peers let's face it Those are Donald Trump's peers. You're listening to Today in Ohio. If the Ohio legislature goes ahead with its sleazy attempt to weaken the value of the voter, it will pit all sorts of interesting bedfellows against each other. Layla, who is the latest group to join the dark side of trying to crush democracy in this state? Talking about gun rights advocates, two such groups, the Buckeye Firearms Association and the Sportsman Alliance, testified in favor of this Republican legislation in the Ohio House and Senate that would require a 60 percent supermajority at the ballot box, which is up from the current 50 percent plus one vote, simple majority to pass a state constitutional amendment. This would go to voters in an August special election just ahead of the abortion issue going to the ballot in November if, if they get enough signatures, of course. And, you know, why do gun rights advocates care about making it harder to pass a constitutional amendment, you ask? Well, according to the testimony of their representative, Rob Sexton, 
They're trying to keep, quote, wealthy interests from pursuing limits on guns, he said. Now more than ever, our fundamental right to defend our own lives must be protected, which I'm not exactly sure what that's supposed to mean. I mean, are we at war or something? Or <laughs> what, is, what does that mean? But anyway, he, he seemed to be suggesting that billionaires like Mike Bloomberg would come here to try to rewrite Ohio's constitution and strip out protections for gun owners. I mean, even though the bill doesn't do anything at all to stop big money from interfering with elections, but Sexton said the 60% threshold would at least deter frivolous ballot measures from going to the ballot. And he felt like, you know, he feels like uh, it must be held to a higher significance and higher import when you're trying to change the Constitution. So basically, I guess Ohioans are too easily influenced idiots, so each vote should count 20% less than it used to, basically. (laughs) (laughs) I, you know, Laura and I were having a discussion uh, yesterday evening about the value of this group to the, the cause. I, th- this group has been very significant in buying off legislators to pass gun laws. They have had zero impact on voters, and I'm not sure that they can. They'll go out and say they're coming for your guns, but I'm not sure that's going to work. I don't think they have the same credibility that police and firefighters and the others that are dead set against this will have in the advertising war that's to come. It's, what, it gets what, them some money is what it gets them. What I thought was significant, because I had asked Rick Ruin, our statehouse editor, before I read this on Thursday morning, I said, you know, if the polls are true and so many people want gun regulations in the United States, why aren't we seeing more referendums like the abortion rights referendum. Do you think that anybody in Ohio, like a mom's demand action kind of thing, will start a referendum petition to put some kind of gun regulations in the Constitution? He said they've heard absolutely nothing about that, that Jeremy Pelzer and Laura Hancock had done a deep dive looking at anything uh, a couple weeks ago that was about referendums and that was not talked about. But then you have the gun lobby preemptively trying to to make it harder. And it just made me think that they're afraid that somebody's going to come up and say, Ohioans want gun regulation. Well, and also yeah, I feel but- like this argument that they're coming for our guns now more than ever, we need to protect our rights. We, we all, yeah. I mean, okay. Gun owners have really been stripped of their rights in Ohio, haven't they? I mean, almost <laughs> no one needs a concealed mm-hmm. carry permit and just about anyone can own any kind of gun they want and walk around like a cowboy. So Oh, someone please help the poor downtrodden gun owners. They've really had it hard this year. I mean, what that just that just doesn't resonate with people. So Yeah, I I I don't think this is as big a deal with the voter as some might think. I do think they'll inject some money so we'll get those red China style postcards that, you know, they're coming for your guns, they're coming for your guns. I just think there's going to be enough money on the other side pushing back and and then add all of the the women and many men who favor the abortion rights. I I just, I think they're in an uphill battle and it's still going to be a tactical mistake to do this in August. There's also the whole sense of fair play. They're hypocrites. It would be so much fun to put the advertising together, quote everything they said about the, the stupidity of August elections, which we all agree with. And then they're going to August because they're counting on people not to show up. I just think it blows up in their faces. But. Well, I hope there's a lot of money on on the side of defeating that amendment because I think there's going to be a lot of money for it. 
Yeah, but but all you need to do then is compare that advertising to HB6. I mean, basically, Matt Huffman is buying into the tactics used in HB6. Is that really what you want to be tied to, the the worst scheme in, in the history of Ohio? I hope Ohioans are that savvy and paying attention. I really do. We'll make sure we do our part to educate people on what's going on. It's Today in Ohio. Things remain tense in Jaga County, where all sorts of armed people plan to protest a drag queen story hour and brunch this weekend. Lisa, this continues to be a bit of a, of a moving situation. What's the latest? In a joint Facebook post by the Chardon Police Department, the Chester Township Police Department, and the Geauga County Sheriff, they asked the Community Church of Chesterland to cancel tomorrow's Drag Queen Brunch and Story Hour. They said there is a realistic threat that organized protests and counter-protests could result in violence, and they said that children will be present at the Church Story Hour, which will be at the church, not at the Chardon Restaurant, and so they're worried about the children. Um... Uh, Church pastor Jess Peacock isn't having it. He says they are not canceling. He said, if we shrink in the face of hate, then what? And he said, instead of asking us to cancel, we're asking law enforcement officers to call out the Proud Boys and the other protesters that are organizing their protest. And that's who should be demanded to cancel. He's also very confident in security measures for the event. He said, if we honestly feel like people are in danger, we will cancel. But he said, otherwise, let them scream and yell like irritated babies. And uh, yeah. And also Chester Township, there's uh, the church suffered some vandalism. The church is in Chester Township. Somebody threw a Molotov cocktail and destroyed their sign. But when Cleveland.com and the Plain Dealer asked for the full police report from Chester Township police, they didn't get it. Yeah, now, I, I really was thrown by this attempt to cancel it because the, the, the folks behind this are right. If you're going to call on somebody to, to drop it down, it's the Proud Boys and those that are bringing guns to what is a very peaceful situation. That The fact that they ask them to cancel the event is a bit of a surprise. It kind of angered me actually when I read about it because you and I had a talk off, you know, off mic about, you know, I said, well, wow, why aren't, why aren't the mayor and the police chief telling the Proud Boys not to come? And you said, well, you're worried about First Amendment issues, but you know, here they are, they are punishing their own people saying, right. I'm sorry, you cannot peacefully gather because there's a problem with violence. Why aren't they saying Proud Boys Please don't come here. Right. I, well, when I was arguing that th they have to be careful of of saying don't take advantage of your free speech rights to the Proud Boys, it wasn't even in the back of my mind that they would turn around and say, hey, the, the sponsors and organizers, drop your first, uh, first Amendment rights. That's ridiculous. I mean, mm -hmm. they, they shouldn't be doing that. They, these, these folks have a right to do what they're doing. And like you said, they're local. You know, the, it's the outsiders that are coming in to raise raise some hell. So it was a, a bad move. And then, of course, violating the public records law is always a bad thing. I don't know what they're trying to hide, why they're being so secretive. So shame on them. They're heading into territory, the, the law enforcement over there, of 
being on the worst side of this. If mm-hmm. they keep making these kinds of mistakes and then violence steps off, the spotlight's going to be on them for not having done the right thing. That's two bad things in a row, not giving the records and calling on the organizers to cancel without calling on the protesters to cancel. I did read a report. I don't know. I, I didn't you know, verify it, but apparently you know, the organizers of the event do not want their supporters to come. They they say please stay home. You know yeah, they don't want to- the counter protesters, right. the people who have the the Eventbrite uh, tickets. They want them to come, but they don't want people standing outside interacting, correct, and trying to provoke the Proud Boys with they- their with their supporters, correct. correct, yes. And so I read reports that they held a vigil for their supporters last night in in Chardon. I don't know if that went off or not. Yeah, that was the plan. I think to give them a space and ask them not to come on Saturday, then that's what they did. So hopefully, I mean, they they know this is coming. They have the intelligence. They're preparing. I hope everybody is very peaceful and, and showing their rights. You're listening to Today in Ohio. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. What is the controversy involving two municipalities and a proposed highway interchange in Northeast Ohio? Laura, as Steve Litt often does, he weaves together all the different aspects of a fascinating battle between governments. This is absolutely fascinating and a, and a very good example of suburban sprawl and suburbs you know, not seeing eye to eye on development. So this proposal for a new interchange at Boston Road that's just south of Ohio 82 or Royalton Road where South Park Mall is, that just got shoved into the state's $13.5 billion transportation budget bill that was passed by the legislature. That's from Republican Tom Patton, the Strongsville Republican. He said he's been pushing for 25 years, which is basically two years after that mall opened to get another interchange to relieve the congestion at that intersection. Anybody who drives to Strongsville is always like, oh no, I have to get off of that exit. So they want another one that makes it better. Brunswick completely disagrees. They don't want to wreck their rural road. They don't want to have to pay to expand it. They don't want people's houses to be taken over by a highway. And they basically want the sprawl to stay in Strongsville. and But they, they feel like they didn't get a say because this was just shoved into the transportation bill. And by the way, there has been no independent study on it. NOACA, which is our countywide, seven countywide planning agency, has not pro- endorse this. They want to study it more. Their idea, the whole idea that this would relieve congestion, Steve says, is absolute baloney because it's something called induced demand that if you build it, they will come. Like if you put an interchange there, it's not going to stay a country road where people get on and off the highway. It's going to be built up with commercials stuff. Although 
Patton does point out that he proposed this under the John Kasich administration. Kasich vetoed it and said, I'll look at this. If Patton has been trying for 25 years to relieve congestion there and no one is working with him, I mean, why why hasn't NOACA talked to him in detail and come up with some solutions? If it's just sat fallow, Patton's frustrated. Let's face it, too. Strunksville is the one Republican stronghold in Cuyahoga <laughs> County. Patton's a Republican. It's a Republican legislature. So if but he has Brunswick's mus- pretty Republican too, right? Like, I don't think that's a Democratic stronghold. But he doesn't represent that. So if he goes to the legislature and says, look, I'm, I'm frustrated. This is a problem. Traffic is awful at this area. The planning agency is not helping me alleviate it. My only solution is to get this interchange built. Let's put it in the budget. I get it. He's frustrated. Mike DeWine should veto it. It's it's not a good idea. We do have a process by which interchanges are designed and built. But but the answer here isn't just to ignore Tom Patton. I mean, he th- there should be conversations about what's the best way to do this and head in that direction. I get his frustration. Nobody likes being in congested areas. It's awful. And if you're through it every day, you wonder why can't this be fixed. And if he's been ignored, then he's taken the one step open to him to force the conversation. I just don't think that this is the right avenue. This is the same guy who tried to tried to put in the language that you couldn't have a bike lane in the middle of Superior Avenue into the state transportation bill, you know, and then he pulled it out and was like, oh, I just wanted to start a conversation. There's we, got, we we do suspect that he was doing that to preserve the St. Patrick's Day parade. That he never is said our it, but That's what our, our, our theory is. Exactly. I just... I think that NOACA is the, they are the planning agency. They are the smart people who look at the, the entire region and decide the priorities. And they haven't said no. They said they're still studying it. I think that Steve is right that if you build it, it's going to get developed. I don't think that this is going to end congestion problems necessarily. I think it, it looks, it ends up like Polaris down in, you know, Columbus where you have three exits of, of commercial malls and Ikeas and, you know, one after the other. And it's just, nobody wants to get off there. Although it's not that congested at least. The thing with, when they built the mall, it was 1996, right? So it's like they understood planning and the way that you get in and out of that mall, there's not like a whole bunch of curb cuts. You know, it's very planned with the double left-hand turn lanes. You think that they would have studied it. It was, it was a modern construction. It wasn't just something that was left over and just developed piecemeal. You'd hate to think that because Northeast Ohio is so heavily Democratic that the Strongsville frustration with the congestion was ignored because it's so heavily Republican. Tom Patton has pushed this into the to the atmosphere. Hopefully it launches a conversation. Hopefully Mike DeWine vetoes this because it is, as you point out, not the way to get to a solution. Great story by Steve Litt. Check it out. It's on Cleveland.com. You're listening to Today in Ohio. We've talked about this anecdotally, but reporter Sean McDonald put some reporting into it. Can Clevelanders save money on air travel by driving to the airports of nearby cities and departing from there? Lisa, I've done this multiple times. So for me, (laughs) anecdotally, I knew it was true. What did he find? Yeah, Sean McDonald says you actually can save money by driving to another airport 
under the right circumstances. So there are several factors in play. So what he did, he tried to get two tickets to New Orleans, Louisiana. So what he did is he drove four hours to the Cincinnati, North Kentucky International Airport, and that saved him $450, even with the cost of gas to drive down there. So he chose an Allegiant Airlines nonstop ticket from Cincinnati that was $120 each, so $340 total. And then he said, you know, there was $50 in gas. And then, of course, there were fees like baggage fees and other fees. So it rounded out to $450 for two tickets. But he did say it did help to have some friends in northern Kentucky. So he did have people nearby. He looked at Southwest Airlines from Cleveland. Uh, That would have been about $800 for two round trip tickets with one layover. He was trying to avoid a layover. Um, Spirit was the cheapest out of Cleveland at $130 round trip, but it lands in New Orleans at midnight and there was a long return trip, like 11 hours. So that's probably a lot of layovers. Um, He looked at Breeze Airlines. They do have a nonstop from Akron Canton Airport, but the flight was only available for a limited time. So he said, you know, considering several airports for your departure increases your options, especially for nonstop flights. He said, you know, but you have to look at factors like your travel time totals, your ticket prices and fees like parking baggage and, and, uh, you know, and gas fees. So in some instances, yeah, it's worth a drive. Where I found it works a great in a great deal is if you're flying somewhere to like Europe, you know, we haven't done that obviously since the pandemic began, but we've done it a few times and every time not flying out of Cleveland was a much better option for us. We've flown from Toronto, from Detroit, from Pittsburgh, and it's just every time it's different, but the amount of money people can save uh, and the ease and comfort of the direct flights is greater if people do that. I guess with any kind of flying, you should just check lots of options to see what works best for you. I was glad he called me about this before he started and asked because he'd heard me talking about it in the newsroom once. I'm glad his reporting bored out. I'm glad I didn't steer him in the wrong direction. <laughs> You're listening to Today in Ohio. Shot spotter is one of those controversial crime solving techniques that many question, but not the new East Cleveland police chief. It's early days, Layla, but what is his experience with it? Yeah, East Cleveland police chief Brian Gerhardt loves shot spotter. He said it proved its worth in the first week that the city used it, where it flagged 15 gunshots that they wouldn't have otherwise known about because, unfortunately, nobody called police to tell them about these gunshots. Shot spotter is it uses acoustic sensors that are placed in neighborhoods to detect and locate and then alert law enforcement when a gun has been fired in in a given area. East Cleveland started using it on March 20th. And then since then, police have received 26 alerts of gunfire from sensors that cover two square miles. The city is 3.1 square square miles. So the city is paying for this with a $149,000 grant for violence prevention. 100000 of that is being spent on shot spotter equipment, while the rest is going to be used for overtime for officers to beef up patrols and in what they're identifying as hot spots. The police are they're not they're acknowledging that no arrests have been made so far in connection with any of the 26 gunshot alerts that they've gotten, but they say they they have some suspects identified and the technology helped them locate one gunshot victim so far. They don't really have enough police officers there, so I yeah, guess any kind of mechanized, <laughs> right? Uh, I mean, he says he has enough, but let's face it: when pretty much half your department is 
up on charges. It's not true. So anything that helps them see where where crimes might be occurring probably is a good thing. What will be interesting is if the AI tools get to the point where you can connect those to ShotSpotter and, and figure out more information than just somebody shot a gun here. Yeah, I mean, more information is what you would really need because I really feel like the criti- the you know, the criticism of ShotSpotter is valid. You know, the ACLU says that ShotSpotter basically directs police officers to neighborhoods with no information, but, you know, this feeling of high alert because they're expecting to find a dangerous situation. And we know that that could unduly escalate tensions and could lead to tragic outcomes for residents who cross paths with a cop who thinks that they're there searching for a perpetrator. So, yes, more information is is what they need for these shot spotter hits to, you know, be u- really useful and not dangerous for use in with, you know, in, in communities. Yeah, if if they had enough cameras where when the shot spotter hears a shot, the cameras could analyze traffic patterns to see maybe you can identify the car that it came from because a lot of these gunshots come from cars. Anyway, he's he's talking about it high. There's still a lot of critics of it. And usually the defense of it comes from the company that makes money by selling it. So it's interesting that a chief is behind it. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Every once in a while, we see bipartisanship in Washington. The latest came this week with the grilling of some people over the recent bank collapses. Lisa, what's the news there? The Senate Banking, Housing, and Urban Affairs Committee has been holding hearings this week examining the recent bank failures of Silicon Valley Bank and and others. Uh, In the chair uh, for testimony was FDIC Chairman Martin Grunberg, and the chairman of the committee is Sherrod Brown, our Ohio Democratic Senator. He says he wants a review of the bank regulators' oversight process. He said the scene of the crime doesn't even begin with the regulators. We need to look at inside the banks and look at the banking CEOs and Trump era regulators who made it their mission to give Wall Street whatever it wanted and then turn to the government for help when risky behavior leads to failure. J.D. Vance was pretty much in concurrence. He called the action a bailout. He says, you know, a lot of these big SVB depositors who were uninsured past a quarter million dollars would have lost million dollars, millions of dollars. And he said, that's a fundamental unfairness. He says, if you're not a systematically important bank like a regional Ohio bank, your depositors probably wouldn't get a bailout like SVB did. And he said, I understand the reasons for what they did, but he said, I don't think it was right. And it presents a moral hazard. It's an interesting discussion. You know that you don't want to have bank runs that cause bedlam in the banking industry, but Vance is right. We do seem to be setting precedents that respect really respect the wealthy depositors much less than than the less wealthy I mean, it's a we're bailing out bank depositors we're not bailing out people with college loan debt i mean it's the it's the constant balance of what is the government thinking interesting discussion but it's it's nice to see our two senators on the same side of several issues Mm -hmm. this in east palestine obviously they won't be on the same side on the indictment of donald trump You're listening to Today in Ohio. Let's end it on a sweet note. For the uninitiated, what is cassata cake? Who makes the best one in Cleveland? And how did she learn to make it so well, Laura? Well, cassata cake is is a Sicilian tradition, but Cleveland makes it their own. We instead of like ricotta cheese, we tend to use a lot of whipped cream. Instead of candied uh, fruit, we tend to use fresh strawberries. But 
the winner of our best cassata cake contest from our best of team actually has a more traditional recipe that she learned in Sicily. And she actually did that while she was studying in France and becoming an expert in both the language and in olive oil. So she ended up with these trips to Sicily and she enrolled in a cooking class there and she expanded her passions to conclude this cassata cake. And she replaced the corn syrup with her own organic, simple syrup infused with bitter almond oil. And she carries that through to the sponge cake. And she has a richer glaze for the top. She incorporates either Sicilian pistachios or almonds for a more natural cake. So it sounds delicious. I have to say, I'd never had a cassata cake before I moved to Cleveland as a grown-up, but they are quite delicious. And it was nice that they were tasting them in the newsroom so we we could get a sample. And where's that bakery? It's called Buttercream and Olive Oil. And I don't know if there is actually a brick and mortar store for it, but um, I think she is from Strongsville. Mm. All right. I'm a celiac, as I mentioned before, so this would be absolute poison for me. What what is, how do, what is cassata cake compared to a birthday cake? I mean, is it So it, there's it layers. Richer? It's sponge cake. And then there's these layers of the cream in between. And so it's it's a layer cake. And then you have that the strawberries in it. So it's not like you're never going to get a chocolate cassata cake. Except the one here, we the photo we have does not show any strawberries, which I thought was unusual. Exactly, I just said like she uses this candy, she uses pistachios. Ah. So hers is a much more traditional Sicilian cake, and the ones the Clevelanders that the generally the bakeries like in Little Italy are strawberries with the whipped cream. But this is our winner for the best tasting one that our team went out, and this is Paris Wolf, Yadi Rodriguez. So the strawberries are not part of the original. That that's not the no, Sicilian. not part of the wow. original Sicilian recipe. Huh. No, All right. just so, is the Cleveland edition. So anytime somebody leaves that's been around for a long time, we buy a cake in the newsroom, and everybody has cake, and it's one of those, one of those flat sheet cakes that look like star giant eagle. Yes. Should should we be getting cassata cake to celebrate when people have events? Is it that much higher quality of cake? Well, you're definitely going to have to buy more than yeah, one right. cake to feed the newsroom <laughs> exactly. and you're probably not going to get it for like 20 bucks. So if you're all for it, that we will make sure that that is, is part of our celebrations. You've all had them and you all think they're, they're just grand. I've never tried it. Um, Stan's Northfield bakery does a cassata cake and they do cassata punchki too, but I've never Ooh, tried it. That's interesting. I've had them. Um, I had one for my birthday one year, but apparently they are more, well-known around Easter times because it's like a lighter, springier cake. So I, I, I bet lots of people are going to get them over the next My mother-in-law so. is Sicilian, mm-hmm. so cassata cake is around quite frequently. <laughs> and she okay. makes the original then, not like the Cleveland whipped cream version. I actually have never had it without strawberries, so this is blowing my mind to know that, that, that that's not the standard. <laughs> <laughs> Who would have thought a discussion of a cake would generate this much conversation? Glad we talked about it. Check out the story on cleveland.com. That closes out a week of discussions on Today in Ohio. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks, Layla. Thanks, Laura. Thanks to everybody who listens. We'll be back on Monday talking about some more news.